Hey, good morning. We love you, Chris. <laughs> Matthew, I love you, bud. And uh, Matthew, uh, a few minutes ago, was out in, the, out in the narthex, and he wanted me to pray with him. And uh, it's, it's appropriate, right? You know, uh, uh, love's not on a schedule, right? It, it just doesn't happen. You just love people. And, and um, I just want you to know, Matthew, you're loved, buddy. And God, God hears you, and uh, God uh, wants to do good and sweet things in your life. And, uh, and you're a blessing to me. You're a blessing to me. And so uh, I just I want you to know that. Hey, listen, we're back in the study in Exodus. Uh, last week we, we took a, a, a brief detour, but we have navigated back into Exodus. We're actually fixing to go into chapter 19. And in uh, chapter 18, just to try to make this transition a relatively smooth, I'll, I'll kind of give a, a little uh, a synopsis or an idea, of some context of where we were at in 18, moving into 19. Uh, uh, in chapter 18, the last uh, message that we had shared in Exodus, uh, we had shared verses 13 through 27. And it's when the father-in-law of, of uh, uh, Moses, Jethro, the priest of Midian, had come to uh, bring uh, Moses' his sons and wife uh, to Moses. And uh, he encounters some things while he's there. They kind of rejoice and they celebrate over the things that God has done uh, in the life of Moses and, and in the, the life of Israel. And, um, but, but Jethro recognizes that there's some things that aren't quite, quite healthy, if you'll allow me to use that term. What was taking place was that Moses, from sunrise till sunset, was judging over the disputes of the people. Remember that? And uh, Jethro comes to him, and he, he says, what you're doing uh, isn't good. And it wasn't what he was doing uh, so much as how he was doing it. And what he implied was the fact that you're doing this alone. And so uh, Jethro gives his father or his son-in-law some advice, and I believe godly advice. And we talked about the need we have in our lives uh, for people to speak truth to us, people that we can trust and people who care for us and, and people that are kind of on the inside, they know us, right? And so Jethro shares some things with him, and Moses humbles himself and listens to what his father-in-law has to say. Now Moses could have pulled rank on his father-in-law, right? Because Moses could have simply looked at him and said, hey, hey, I'm the one who heard the burning bush. I'm the one that has spoke to God. I'm the one that's been called to lead. He could have done that. But he would not have benefited from the sound, godly advice that his father-in-law was introducing to him. But instead of pushing back and pulling rank on his father-in-law, he listens to him, he humbles himself, and it isn't just that he listens, he then applies it, right? So he wasn't just hearing what his father-in-law said, he was listening and then applying it. And what ends up happening at that moment 
is uh, once they, uh, they implement this advice given, uh, it benefited everyone involved, right? The scripture says it benefited Moses and it benefited the people. And that's what really sound, biblical, godly advice will ultimately do. It'll benefit everyone that adheres and embraces it and applies it. It's pretty simple. The scripture ends in chapter 18 with this verse. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. Now that's where we ended now we're rolling in to Exodus chapter 19. Now what I want to tell you is 19 is kind of like the foundational, they're establishing right here what's about to come in chapter 20. Now I don't know how many of you cats are reading ahead. I don't know how many of you are, 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 are students of Exodus, but I can tell you what's waiting in chapter 20 if you don't know. It's the revelation of the Ten Commandments. So what's about to happen is God is establishing in this chapter uh, the groundwork for them to receive the commandments. As a matter of fact, in the, these first eight verses that we're going to look at today, he basically is divulging and exposing to the people his motive and his intentions. Because once we know the intentions of God, whatever follows after that is somewhat uh, palatable to us in our spirits. It's, 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 we can consume it because we know his motive and his intentions and it can be trusted because what's about to come after the first eight verses is some pretty crazy hard stuff or at least perceived as difficult and hard. But when it's filtered through the motive of God, it is much easier to embrace. So that's what's taking place. We're moving quickly into chapter 20. And uh, once we get into chapter 20, we may do a commandment a week to really drive it home. And you're thinking, a commandment a week? Man, that'll be a short sermon. <laughs> uh, you've not been here long enough, right? No, no. So, but what we want to do today before we get to those commandments, what we want to do today is we want to look at these first eight verses. And we're going to read these, and we're going to, it's going to open us up to some uh, to insight uh, of the motivation and the intention of God. Very, very encouraging scripture we find here. Exodus chapter 19, if you would throw that up, Clark. Verses, we'll start verse 1 right here. And you guys can follow along with me. The scripture says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, Now I want you to understand, this is the same place that he had encountered God. The burning bush. This is all happening right here. This is not unfamiliar ground to Moses. Maybe to everyone else, but not to him. And so it says, so the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you, you will be for me a kingdom 
a priest and a holy nation, these are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded. The people all responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, these eight verses, how we have numbered them, we have read it, we have read, we have studied, we have tried to consume this, that we can share with one another the truth of this scripture. What I believe, Father, rest in these eight verses is something so beautiful that it can be life-changing, absolutely life-changing, perspective-altering. I pray today that at this very moment, this very, I mean, this very moment, that hearts at this, at this moment would just open up and minds would be clear. Father, critical thinking, the, these types of things, the, the the, 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 the insanity of, of the world's anxieties that push in on us, that try to distract us. I pray, Father, through the power of your Spirit that that would all be arrested and that we could be at ease in our spirit as we glean from your Word this morning as it shapes us to be more like Jesus. Father, we bless you and we thank you for your Word. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's water. <laughs> let's water the well or prime the well. <clears throat> okay, let's look at this. <clears throat> Chapter 19, verse, we're going to start on verse 1 and 2, okay? And just start unpacking this thing. It's just eight verses. We'll kind of unpack this relatively quick. We arrived in Florida the other day. We had all kinds of suitcases and whatnot. And it took a little while to get everything unpacked. And then when I got back home and everything, it didn't take nearly as long to unpack it. When I got back, I just throw, you know, I'm, I'm doing this. And so this morning, we're, going, we're not going to necessarily do this, but we are going to unpack this this morning. And we want to kind of look at a few things that's going to help Ronnie this morning. And maybe you too, if you apply it, because I believe Ronnie will apply it. And it'll help you as much as it's going to help Ronnie, maybe Billy, Aaron, a few others. Uh, yeah, yeah. Why is Trent picking on us this morning? Okay, this is what the scripture says. It says, on the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. Now, <clears throat> the last reference in this scripture that we had for a framework of time was found in Exodus uh, uh, chapter 16, right? Verse 1. Now, the reason I'm going to share this with you because once you understand where we're at, you're going to say to yourself, this has been a really busy couple of two weeks for these people. When you go to Exodus chapter 16, verse 1, the scripture says, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. That happened on the fifth, halfway through the second month, we are now what? Where? Where are we now? Where are we? 
the first day of the third month. So we are basically looking at two weeks later. So we got context for time, right? Now, what I want you to understand is what is taking place over these two weeks. The man and quail provision had taken place. The grumbling and complaining and God's response, that had taken place. The water from the rock, that experience accompanied by the grumbling and the complaining and the near enough overthrowing of Moses, all that had taken place. Not only that, in chapter 17, the first warring conflict with the Amalekites had taken place. Had taken place at a a great uh, uh, expense to the people of Israel as those who were trailing off in the back were were being basically slaughtered by the Amalekites. And that's what the scripture, we, we went over that, so we know what that was happening. All of these things were taking place over the last two weeks. Not to mention from sunrise till sunset, disputes being managed by Moses. So shove all that stuff into a two-week period, and that sounds pretty congested, doesn't it? I mean, that's one of those two-week periods you need a vacation from. You know what I'm talking about? That's the reason. If you're coming to church and this is your experience in church over two weeks, you're like, I need a vacation from church. You know what I'm talking about? But this is what was happening right here. So we got context. Two weeks later, a lot of activity, a lot of action, a lot of things happening. And so the scripture then says, after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Now this is something that's absolutely essential for you and I both to understand. This seems so insignificant to the millions of Jews and Israelites, the Hebrews, that are being led by Moses, who is being led by God. Remember when you look into Deuteronomy, we find out that the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke, that has not left them. As a matter of fact, when you read in Deuteronomy, it says God never had forsaken them, always leading them in that fashion in those years in the desert. And so what was taking place right here was God was leading them. As they're following God, they arrive at this given destination. No one else is understanding what is really taking place And it doesn't have nearly the the heaviness to it uh, with everyone else except for Moses. Why is that? Why would this situation, them parking in front of this mountain, be so significant to Moses? I'm going to tell you why. Like I wasn't going to tell you why, right? In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, this is what the scripture says. And God said, and he's speaking to Moses. I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. On this mountain. That's not spoken to anyone else. So as God, as you can imagine, as God is leading the children of Israel, Moses in the back of his mind is beginning to identify the destination, where we're going. And when everyone else is just thinking, man, we're just following the pillar of God. In the back of Moses' heart and mind, you know what's taking place? Affirmation. Encouragement. What is this in Moses' heart that doesn't rest in the heart of anyone else? This is a sign, not to everyone else, but to Moses. 
So Moses has just been through the two weeks of craziness that I just described to you guys. So you can understand in that time, you might be a little disheartened. You can see it, right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Georgia? I mean, life can beat you down. Even in uh, just carrying out the responsibilities of everyday life, sometimes it can be overwhelming. And what's happening in this moment is what I like to refer to as one of those God wink moments. We're in the midst of the greater us, the greater purpose that bringing bring the children of Israel to Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments would be delivered. In the midst of all that, God looks through millions of people, sees Moses and says, this is a sign for you. That's a pretty powerful thought. To think that God amongst the bigger picture would look down and say to Wes and say to Janus, I've not forgotten you. Wink, wink, look where we're at. It says, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. Why is that important? What do you think was taking place in some of that arguing and disputing when they about revolted against Moses and Moses had told God, they're ready to stone me. And why did he say that? Probably because someone out there in the crowd was saying, stone that cat, stone him, right? And so there's this reaffirming to Moses, Moses, I didn't make a mistake. This is a sign, Carl, for you. Now, I say that to say this. There's going to be times in your lives where the insignificant things to others will be so significant to you because of what God has told you and no one else will, get, will garner the significance of that because that wasn't spoken to them. Are you, do you follow me? You know what I'm talking about? There will be the small things that God has spoken to you that no one else will, be, will, will, will have the, the, the awareness of that when you come into that moment and you experience that, you're in a state of almost spiritual ecstasy and excitement and it will move you to celebrate when everyone else is looking at you that are, that are around you thinking, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with him? That's just a $25 check. Why is he so excited? Because they didn't hear God saying to you, I will provide for you in this. They don't understand the need for that or whatever it might be. The simple report from a doctor's visit. When God had said to you, the response from the doctor will be favorable. Do not worry about this. I've got you. And then all of a sudden that report comes back from the doctor. Man, you're up here dancing a jig. I mean, you're really turned on. And everyone's like, man, what's it? He got a negative COVID test. What's, what's wrong with him? They don't understand what was at play. They don't understand what God has said. And listen, when you're celebrating, when you're taking in those moments, those God wink experiences, when he brings you to a place and the revelation of God's word plays out in your life and you're right in the midst of it and you're standing in it, do not be discouraged because no one else is celebrating in it. They just don't know. And there will come a time when they celebrate in theirs and you'll be looking at them and you'll be saying, what's wrong with them? You don't know about them either. Are you tracking with me? You follow? You with me? You see what I'm saying here? So they arrive here at this mountain. Pretty significant. 
pretty significant to Moses and will be significant to them. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. Now when you read this, it can kind of derail you for a moment. It can kind of get you leaning in a different... It's almost as though he's identifying two different groups of people when in fact it's one group of people with two titles. Now I think there's something significant about that. When he identifies them, some translations will render that instead of the descendants of Jacob, it'll render it as the house of Jacob. Because that's where it all began, right? The house of Jacob, the descendants of Abraham, the grandson of Abraham, right? It was just a man and his kids. That's where it all began, the house of the deceiver, the hill grabber, that kind of thing. He says, tell the house of Jacob, the descendants of Jacob, and then he says, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. If you would give me the leniency and the forgiveness if you feel I'm reading too much into this. I think there's this subtle expression of God saying, don't forget where you started. Don't forget what I started with. And that's probably even more important, what God had started with. Don't forget when you were a Jacob. That's not, you are. That's not who you are. You're in Israel now, the people of Israel. The problem was when you read in the Old Testament, there's a great deal of the time when the children of Israel, the Hebrews, are referred to as Jacob because their conduct in reference to God is less than desirable in regards to their obedience. So they're responding to God like a Jacob. And there's times you'll find this later in the scripture where God refers to them as Jacob. But then when they're walking the line, man, and they're being obedient to God, and God, and they're chasing after the heart of God, it is Israel that they are called by. And you and I have a tendency, though we are Israel's or we are followers of Jesus, there's times in our walk with Jesus we act more like Jacob's. Right? Right? But let me say this to you, and I, I want you to get this. As followers of Jesus, our conduct doesn't dictate our identity. Our identity should be dictating our conduct. So we shouldn't be saying to ourselves, well, I'm going to do this because this is what a follower of Jesus does. That'll make me that. What we should be saying is we are followers of Jesus because of that I'm going to respond like this. I'm going to respond to that coworker like this. I'm going to respond to the crisis in my life like this. My identity should be dictating my conduct and my response in my life. So he says to them, this is what you are to say to the sins of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. Undeniable, right? You can see. I mean, we're just really full two months removed 
from the expression of God's power over the land of Egypt, Pharaoh and his armies. Literally eight weeks. We're, on, we're the first day of the, maybe the ninth week removed from that. And God says, y'all remember what I did. You do, right? You do, don't you? We remember what God, I'm not talking about Israel. I'm talking about you. Do you remember what God did for you? Do you remember the many times that God went to battle for you? Do you remember the many times the sales, cell doors were swung open because of the effort of God in your life? Do you remember that stuff? Or have you forgotten that? God says to them, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings. Now listen, listen. And you go into these commentaries, you get into this scripture, and the first thing you want to do, man, you want to start pulling up all this information about eagles because there's several times in the scripture, in the Psalms and other places, where God refers to himself in uh, an uh, uh, expression, a metaphor of an, of an eagle and, 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 and eagle's wings and stirring up the nest and a lot of different things. And so all of a sudden you start, man, wanting to extract from many of these analogies about eagles that would liken it unto the character of God, right? And there's, there's all kinds of them. I mean, there's all kinds of them. Things eagles do that we'd say, oh man, I can see God in that. I can see God in that. But God says to him, how I carried you on eagles' wings. I'm going to let 90% of that go. And I'm going to tell you one thing about, about eagles. Okay? Ronnie, I could sit here all day and talk to you about eagles. But I'm, I'm not. I'm gonna let that. Uh, but I am gonna mention these couple little short things. All right. The beautiful thing about eagles, especially the griffin eagle, which is found in Africa and the Middle East and whatnot, they are the highest flying birds in the world. In this scripture, when they're referencing the eagle, the children of Israel would have known exactly what type of eagle this would have been. The average eagle will fly about 11,000 feet. A griffin eagle, about 26, 27,000 feet. 26, 27,000 feet. I was just in an airplane the other day, flying about 35,000 feet. And listen, I'm going to make a little confession to you guys. I'm not nearly as brave as I appear to be. And my wife told me we sit in that airplane seat, and she, I was sitting by the window. I had the windows shut. She's sitting in the middle. My wife says to me with such an arrogant tone, could you raise up that window? I feel like I have more control if I can see out. <laughs> I'm like, what? So I raise up that window and we're flying. I'm, Listen, it, I'm not good. I can, I can fake it good. I'm, I look stout. I look strong. I look confident. I got sweaty palms when I'm on a plane. It just happens. And whenever I sit by the side of the plane, and Carrie will tell you this, I always lean away from it. <laughs> and I lean in as though if I were to lean on that side of that, it was just going to open up and swallow me and spit me out. And when I look out the window, I, I kid you not, when I look out the window, I still lean left. I got the Detroit lean going on inside Southwest. 
right? I'm leaning this way, looking out the window. I can't try. The sense, that idea of leaning up against that plane, knowing that there's someone controlling a button that's like a trap door and that thing will open up at any moment, I'm telling you, it literally makes me cringe. That's 35,000 feet. These griffin eagles can fly somewhere around 26, 27,000 feet. It has been documented that they've been sucked into the wings of jet planes at 35,000 feet. That's amazing. Throw the picture up, Clark. This is a red-tailed black hawk or blackbird. Doesn't have nearly the power nor the strength to elevate to 25,000 feet. But you know what that little bird can do? Show them the other one, Clark. You know what that little bird can do? It can hitch a ride on a greater power that can take him to greater heights than his own ability can take him. And I'm saying to you, when God says, when God says what he says here about, well, about carrying them, I carried you on it. He literally is saying, I've taken you to places and done things for you that in yourself you didn't have the capacity to reach there. And I can say to you guys today with a great deal of confidence and to encourage you, if you want your marriage to go to heights it's never been, your marriage needs to be on the back of the Lord's angle. You see what I'm saying? It too needs to be carried. If you're wanting your relationships to go to a place, your understanding of Scripture to go to a place, your understanding of prayer to go to a place, it's never gone. You need to hitch a ride on a source that is greater than yourself, that being God. Right? You don't need to clap, Angie. <laughs> this is the truth. Right? And this is what God is. God literally said to them, get on my back. I'm doing the heavy lifting. My, my wings are wider. They're stronger. I carried you out. Look at that bird right there. He's a pretender. Look at him, wings stretched out there like he's flying, like he's, like he's actually lifting the eagle. And sometimes that's how vain and silly we look. When we think it's all our strength that the efforts of God must be carried, what a ridiculous thing, even in our own lives to think that. The thing God's doing for me, I've got to do this. When in fact we need to just persevere and say, take me God wherever you want to take me. Take me wherever you want to take me. And then the scripture says this, how I carried you on eagle's wings. This is sweet. And brought you to myself. Man, is that sweet or what? Wherever God is leading you, the destination regarding the, the proximity, that place, that location, geographically speaking, wherever God is leading you, that can be debated, discerned, worked out, wrestled with. But the thing that can't be wrestled with is the biblical truth 
of this. In the process of being led by God, the destination is always himself. Wherever he's leading you to do whatever he's leading you to do, ultimately it was always, it's always going to lead you to a deeper intimacy with him. He's brought you out to bring you in. That's what he's doing there. So wherever you think God is taking you, if it isn't including greater intimacy, greater understanding, greater desires for him, you might want to check your location and what it is that is really leading you because God reveals right here, right here, the destination and, and what he was moving them away from and moving them to. And he literally says, brought you to myself. This is the heart of God ultimately in all of our lives. He's Okay, Trent, move on. Verse 5 and 6. Man, we only got a couple verses left. We're going to get out before one. Now, if you obey me fully, this is one of those contingencies, one of these prerequisite covenant dynamics. You know what I'm talking about? This isn't one of those things where God just said, I'm going to do this for you. This is one of those things. That, this is a partnership type dynamic being revealed here. And this is what God says to them. He says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Segula in the, in the Hebrew. You know what that means? Treasure or jewel. Now listen, I know a lot of ladies, especially one who has a lot of jewelry. She don't buy the jewelry to hide it. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, look at this beautiful piece of jewelry. Let me stuff it over here in a corner and hide it from everybody. This jewel, God is saying to them right there, you will be my treasured possession, you will be my jewel. Watch this. I'm going to put you on display. And he says this, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He's literally saying, you're my jewel, the apple of my eye, even though all these belong to me, you are going to be the chosen vessel, not to hoard up my love, but to be the conduit that the whole world, which is mine, will know who I am. He says to them, you will be for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Implying what? You will be the middleman. You will be my representatives. You will be interceding. You will be the means in which I express myself that the world would stand in awe of who I am. It's you. And you say, well, that's pretty cool. Them Hebrew cats, man, they got the favor of God on their life. Man, God do some really good things. To them. But Trent... I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Hebrew. I'm not a Jew. He didn't call me to be, to, to be a, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Oh, oh, he did. You remember this Peter cat? Y'all remember him over in the New Testament? A few books down, a few pages over. Remember him, the denier of Jesus, the one restored and redeemed by Jesus? 
He writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. Listen to what he says. As you come to him, the living stone, that being Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, a jewel, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. You remember that house of Jacob? Into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He literally, Brooke, he's called you to be the same thing that he's called these cats out of Egypt for. He's literally saying, Brooke girl, you're my jewel. I'm going to put you on display. And you're going to shine, you're going to shine, you're going to shine. And they're going to look at you and they're going to say, why is she so, so shiny? Why is she so shiny? And they're going to inquire and they're going to look and they're going to do the same thing for you guys. And in that moment, you're going to be that priest, that holy priest, that priesthood, that house, spiritual. And it's on you. And it's on me then to be that representative, right? In Akabono, at AGC, and the Lord knows both those places need it. And the public schools, Hendrickson needs it. Is there anybody here that works anywhere that doesn't need that? Raise your hand. Look, even the people who are stay-at-home workers aren't raising their hand because they know they need it in their home. You know what I mean? I'm a coder. I got my own office down in the basement and I need Jesus there to influence the people that I work with and I work by myself. Yeah. And then the scripture says this. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. God's intention revealed to Moses and God says to Moses, make sure my children know what my intent is. Ronnie, this is the intention of God. And he says to Moses, let them know this is my heart for them. Oh, when we know the heart of Jesus, when we know the heart of the Father. Oh, how it changes the way we respond to him. If we can deliver the message that God wants delivered in the manner he wants it to be delivered, it will accomplish the purpose he wants it to accomplish. If we can deliver the intention and the motivation of God, it will accomplish his, his purpose, Ryan. It will do it. I'm not saying that. You don't have to take my word for it. That's what the scripture says. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10 and 11, it says this. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. He's saying to Moses, you go tell my kids 
how much I love them and what I want to do in and through them and for them to remember what I've done and for them to know how strong I am. You let them know this. So Moses thought for a moment, as the scripture doesn't say, you did, I had to be careful with the trickiness. That's not what the scripture says. Moses contemplates, Moses prays about, Moses fasts before listening to God. No, that's not what the scripture says. It says, so Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them, not some of what God had said, not the sweet things, not the easy things, but set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. Oh, what a terrible injustice when we think we are benefiting people by withholding truth from them. Mm. All the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. I want the confidence. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot like you. I'm not. You know, we all lean away from the window, don't we? The perceived threat. Oh, yours is different than your window's different. But sometimes, man, that fear just to get you leaning the other way. You're not as quick to explain or express or share. Your fears look different. Rejection issues look different. You don't want to be that guy, that girl. So you lean the other way and I want the confidence to speak God's word by the spirit of God and the love of God and motivated by the intentions of God. And that is all revealed in one scripture. And if we can master any message that can involve every facet of what I just said, it is found in this scripture. For God, the spirit, the source, the spirit of God, so loved the world, the motivation of God, that he gave his one and only son, the love of God, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life the intention and purpose of God. Oh, how have we messed that up? How have we messed that up? How do we contaminate that? How do we dilute that? Who do we think is going to be offended by that truth? When you look somebody in the face and you say, you know God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son for you. That if you would believe, and the word believe literally means to trust, to place trust in. It isn't a thought in the mind. That you'll never die, man. But you'll have eternal life. What's so scary about that message, Jacob? To share that. Why do we have to add so much? Why do we muddy it up so much? 
that that message right there isn't good enough to be placed at the feet of broken people. Knowing what God has said in Isaiah, that if you'll just share this message, it will accomplish its purposes. Why are we running from that verse? Why do we hide and navigate and manipulate? And because we don't want to be rejected? I'm not sure, to be frank with you, I'm not sure if we can deliver that message in his power, in his spirit, in his love, with his intentions and his purposes. I'm not really sure if we can effectively deliver that and it be rejected. I think oftentimes that message is rejected because it's been so distorted. And it's carrying around a bunch of baggage that we have connected to it. You know what the people of Israel said to Moses when he goes down there? And we're going to close with this. Record time. And the people responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. That's, that's a pretty stout response, ain't it? Hey, this is how God loves you. This is what God wants to do for you. Moses, I'm just telling you what God said. What say you? You know what they said? I'm down with that. That sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. Now, do they keep their word? Do they walk the line, man? Are they faithful to God for the remainder of their days? No. But God deals with them. God deals with them. I think if you and I can find ourselves understanding the motive of God and the intention of God, if we can deliver that in the essence of who God is, then I think God would do the heavy lifting. And God will do the convincing and the convicting and the redeeming and the restoring and the saving and the sanctifying and all those other theological terms. He'll do all that stuff. If we're just faithful, just to give the people that truth, you know. Yeah. So we're going to leave here today. What is it, October the 9th? Right? Am I there? Right date? We're going to leave here October the 9th, 2022. I was going to say 21, but I'm afraid no one would catch me on it and it would expose how far all of us are off, right? But in October the 9th, 2022, we're going to leave here knowing not just from Exodus 19, 1 through 8, what the motive intention of God was, but through the same scripture in John chapter 3, I think you know it, what verse. That's the same message. That's the same message. So we're going to leave here October the 9th. What I'm going to ask you to do is what I think God is asking me to do. Is not be so afraid to lean in. And just give them the truth. Man, you don't have to over-explain it. You don't have to wrestle with them from a philosophical standpoint. You don't need to be Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis. You don't have to be all that. 
just be you in Jesus, a royal priest, and just deliver the message, the gospel, in the love of Jesus. Amen? Yeah, let's try that. All right, stand with me this morning. So we're going to pray. We're going to be dismissed. And we're going to do what the scripture has pointed and directed us to do this morning. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we read through eight verses. You've spoken to us. You opened yourself up to us. That's what you did. You just opened up and said, this is my heart for you. This is what I want to do for you if you'll just listen to me. This is what I want to do. Father, we want to be sons and daughters who are obedient to to follow your word, the leading of your spirit. And we want to do it engulfed in the love of Christ, flooded, parasols. We want it just pouring out of us out of our pores. We want to be able to deliver the message in the company of of your spirit and the influence of your love. And so I bless my brothers and sisters here today. I bless them. I pray, Father, that you would do the work in them that they need. I don't know what that is, but Father, you do. They do. And may we all be priest, jewel. May we shine. May we shine, Lord, reflecting your light. Mm. We love you. We bless you this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray and ask these very things. And the sons and daughters of God, in the name of Jesus, said amen. Amen. God bless you.